As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What's going on, guys? Henry with Bro History. And before we get started with today's episode, I do have a couple of announcements to make. Um, number one is that we actually changed the name of the podcast. Uh, we're now going by Bro History Geopolitics and Foreign Policy. And uh, we also changed the album art or the uh, podcast art. Uh, we thought this one was a little bit better with the theme of our show. So uh, hopefully it doesn't cause confusion. And I'll be completely honest, that may be subject to change in the future. Right now, I'm kind of in like an experimentation phase where I want to be testing out different names and different podcast art to see what delivers the most uh, engagement. So hopefully it doesn't cause any confusion, but we're still here. So don't get don't freak out if you see the, the art change. Please uh, rate and review the podcast. It really helps us with things like rankings. Uh, one of the best things I hear from people who listen to the show is that they'll listen to one of our first episodes and they'll and they'll say something like, oh, yeah, it was it was good. Um, you know, trying to be nice, not hurt my feelings. And then they'll listen to one of our later episodes, one that we published, uh, you know, recently. And they'll be like, wow, you guys are so much better than you were before. So we want to hear that improvement. We want to make the show better with every single episode. So we can do that with your feedback, your honest ratings and reviews. Um, so really would appreciate that on our side. And if you're listening for the first time, uh, Bro History is a podcast uh, dedicated to history, foreign policy, geopolitics, and really anything interesting. Um, what makes us unique is that while we're going while while we're going through this podcast, um, sometimes we fall off the rails and talk about really kind of funny subject matter. So um, we're trying to become like a Joe Rogan of foreign policy. So please uh, support the show, rate and review, share with a friend, and uh, I hope you enjoy today's episode. It's very interesting. Welcome to BrewHistory.com. All right, welcome to another episode of Bro History. Uh, it is uh, myself, Henry, and Danny Abdul-Jabbar on the line. How's it going, man? How are you? Doing, doing good, man. How about you? I'm doing well. I cannot complain. I cannot complain at all in this crazy, crazy world. I am going to the White House next week. Are you? Yeah. Nice. Steal some napkins. I heard I that will, they have really good napkins. I will take all the W's out of the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever hear that story about the Clintons? No, what? So it was a really funny story about when George W. Bush was the president-elect and the Clintons were leaving the office. The Clintons apparently ransacked the White House. They started stealing stuff, and they had to return a bunch of they – had, they got in trouble. They had to return all the things that they stole. What kind of things were they stealing? Art, 
and furniture. I'm not sure about furniture, <laughs> but art and just a lot of valuable pieces of work. Like an old, I think they stole like an old urn from like, like the 1800s. Took the Constitution. Like they, yeah, they took the Constitution. <laughs> but something that I found really funny that they did is that they went to all the keyboards in the White House and he took all the W's out. <laughs> Why? So George W. Bush couldn't type his real name? Yeah, exactly. So they took all the W's out of the keyboards. That's it's such a funny story. I'm not even mad about that. That sounds hilarious. Yeah, I, I'm not mad. That's that's just that's um, first level trolling right there. Yeah. <laughs> Before trolling was even a word. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I'll be in the White House. I'll be at the White House next week, um, assuming all goes to plan. Um, why I'm going to the White House? Well, I'm going on a lovely tour, and um, I'm also going to a couple of events over there. But uh, I'll tell you more about that after the after the after the show. Cool, man. Um, Sounds good. However, I wanted to get an episode out here to talk about our good old friends, the Beverly Hillbillies of the Middle East, aka Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone get that reference? The Beverly Hillbillies of the Middle East? No, they struck but, oil. Oh, okay, fair. And you sent me an article. This was, this initially got my attention on it when you initially sent me this article from Vice News. That's um, right. And basically, the headline of the article is, Instead of punishing the Saudis for Khashoggi, Trump wants to hand them nuclear technology. So what do you think about that? So first, all right, I'm going to just kind of shit on the headline of this article. Instead of punishing the Saudis for Khashoggi, Trump wants to hand them nuclear technology. The headline is really stupid is because you could have framed that in so many different ways. Like, oh, yeah, you should have said instead of punishing the Saudis for the illegal war in Yemen, Trump wants to hand them nuclear technology, but they have to base it around Khashoggi. And I guess it's because a lot of people are more aware of the Khashoggi murder than the actual war in Yemen. Mm-hmm. The war in Yemen is not sexy enough for, to be in the news, unfortunately. Right. Um, there's too much humanitarian suffering there. So I, I guess the mainstream media doesn't follow it. Um, the mainstream media loves following the Syrian war. Mm-hmm. Or they did love following the Syrian war because that was just like, oh, ISIS, ah, Assad, chemical weapons. But that's right, right. The mainstream media does not like to cover Yemen because I guess it's just a depressing subject matter and it's, pro- it's just overly complicated uh, as well. However, and, and Americans uh, would need to learn where the hell Yemen is on a map, too. Yeah, so they, most they people just figured out where Syria is. <laughs> most people don't know where Yemen is on a map. So I guess that is. Uh, I guess that, and also Vice. I mean, Vice does do good coverage on some they do. things. Yeah, they, However, they, they really do. However, yeah. this article, th- this headline is just so clickbaity. It's it's just it pisses me uh, off. Hey, I mean, degree. that's literally the reason why I clicked on it. I'm not gonna lie, it worked. I was like, what? What is this? Because I hadn't heard about what we're about to talk about, um, and, and some nuclear technology uh, deals here. Um, but what really stuck out to me was like, in you know, this instead of punishing you know, Saudi Arabia for Khashoggi. And I'm like, oh God, where are we going with this one? Um, but I agree with you. I think I think that the headline does a disservice to the article. I think the article's pretty well written. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think it turns a lot of people off, especially people that um, might think that might be on the opposite side of the Khashoggi debate as far as like what the U.S. should have done about it. You know, I think it completely shuts that off. And then this is like a really interesting topic, um, and there's not a ton of coverage on it, actually. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, it's it sucks that the t- 
title was so clickbaity. Well, let me let me get act let me get into the actual story. Yeah, so, let's do that. A report from the staff of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform shows evidence that members of the Trump transition team tried to push through a plan to sell nuclear technology to Saudi Arabia. The good mm-hmm. old Beverly Hillbillies of the Middle East. They struck <laughs> oil. That's what happened, really. It's like yeah. the, the Saudi Arabian stories parallel to the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. The plan would have led to the construction of 40 nuclear power plants and facilities to enrich uranium fuel. The technology, while focused on civil nuclear power, could give the Saudis resources that could be used to build nuclear weapons. Could. That's could. a key word to take. Could. We'll get into that later. Right. The plan would also have pumped billions into a number of U.S. companies involved in the nuclear industry, and that's where the real concern comes. Um, labeled the Middle East Marshall Plan, which was spearheaded by IP3 International, a private company led by a retired admiral whose board includes a bunch of retired generals, ex-staff, and politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, Flynn actually signed – Michael Flynn signed Michael on Flynn. as an advisor – to IP3 just before jumping on the Trump transition team. The Saudi nuclear sale is the only deal that this IP3 International is currently working on. And um, I'm going to give kind of like a quick summary of it. So General Flynn was advising IP3 while serving as national security advisor. Um, Flynn advocated for the IP3 nuclear plan. And according to the whistleblower where this committee comes from, of where the genesis of this committee comes from or this report comes from at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the decision was already made by Flynn to move forward with a project despite Saudi Saudi Arabia not signing a one, two, three agreement. Right. Uh, what a one, two, three agreement is, is basically the non-proliferation uh, criteria. Right. Um, so the committee launched to see if this is in the interest of national security or just a way for these generals and these ex-staff members and politicians to make a buck off the deal. Right. Because it kind of seems like that's what it is. Yeah, Um, totally. And a quick note, the Saudis don't want to sign anything that will prohibit them from enriching uranium. So that's where the big concern comes from. Right. And it's, it's reasonable to be concerned about, I think. No, it definitely is. It definitely is reasonable to be concerned about it. But I want to first get into kind of the the common misconceptions about nuclear reactors and nuclear warheads because you just say the word nuclear and people automatically oh yeah they go nuclear bombs shit. and right. nuclear warheads yeah um it's kind of like a guilt by association but they're totally different things so yeah. we first need to break down to get a clear understanding of the story the first thing you want to do is just know the difference between a civilian nuclear program and a weapon of mass destruction a nuclear warhead or a bomb that's right so um, I'll go over what you're probably a little bit better of this on this technology stuff than I yeah. am, but I'll go over like you know what, you what, what I know about mm-hmm. it, and then if anything I get totally wrong, just correct me. Yeah, you bet. But um, a nuclear reactor and a nuclear weapon—they're both very different things. Um, they have some things in common, and what they have in common is is that they're both powered by fissile isotopes like uh, either uranium or plutonium. Correct. And Specific Fizz- uranium and specific plutonium, I might add. Yeah. And fissile isotopes are elements that break apart when neutrons hit them. And when this happens, they produce more neutrons and and fission products that release a bunch of energy. Right. It's like dominoes, basically. Yeah, you, you exactly. knock one over, and then a bunch of them fall over after that 
creates a whole big kaboom. Well, like, but here's the difference between nuclear reactors and nuclear warheads. With reactors, this is released over time. Right. Controlled. With, with weapons, it's released over... Right now. <laughs> it's released, yeah. It's released right now. It's just all at once. So that's the major difference between a nuclear, a civilian nuclear program, one that's just used to produce energy for like daily activities and industry, mm-hmm. and a nuclear warhead. One is released slowly, and the other is released all at once and causes a huge explosion that kills everyone. That's correct. That's all correct. Right. Is, is there anything I'm missing with that? Uh, one thing I would add is that, so I, I mentioned specific uranium and specific plutonium. Uh, I don't remember the name of the isotope specifically, but it's, it's like uranium-235 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, in order to get it, you have to refine it in a very, very specific way. And it's, it is time-consuming. It's very technical. And you do need a, a sufficient amount of technology and obviously you know, smart people that know what the fuck they're doing to make it happen. So it's not like, you know, here's a bunch of uranium fuel. Go ahead and go make a bomb like that. Getting the fuel itself for either energy or for uh, bomb making is quite technically intensive. Um, the difference between the fuels is that while uh, nuclear reactors and nuclear bombs use the same fuel, the the enrichment process is different. So by that I mean I think it's like 1% or 5% enriched uranium is good enough for nuclear reactors. And you need 90 plus percent enriched uranium for bombs so i guess a couple of analogies that i can make is like octane on gasoline right so you know you got the regular gasoline that you put in your car and then you got like the super premium that's like a higher octane for like your sports cars and shit like that but think of the divide as much much bigger right uh it's like the difference between gasoline and rocket fuel, for example, you know, made of completely different things, of course, but I guess that's a, it's a good way to, to, to put the analogy, right? You can't power, um, you know, a rocket with, you know, the gas that you put in your car because it's just not, it doesn't burn hot enough. It's, it's not as refined. I guess another way to put it would be the difference between like single distilled vodka and like 12 times distilled vodka, right? Um, difference between, say, you know, beer and Everclear, right? It's it's just making, uh, uh, synthesizing it over and over and over again until it's so potent that it can be used for a bomb. So that's the one last thing that I want to point out is that you need to enrich the fuel to quite a high degree in order to make it a bomb. And, you know, the question that a lot of people have, I think, is that, you know, can you use a nuclear reactor to build a nuclear bomb? And I think the question is framed wrong. The reactor itself uh, for a nuclear reactor isn't producing the fuel it is it is it is burning the fuel so to speak right but the technology that is used to create nuclear reactor fuel is the exact same technology that you would use to create nuclear bomb fuel does that make sense yeah so basically um if you lit a block of uranium on fire it wouldn't explode right all right. I mean, you'd probably die from radiation poisoning first. But yeah, I get it. <laughs> but, but I think the major question—I think the major question is—is is that all right? So yeah, can they use nuclear? Can they use this, these nuclear plants um, in their genesis of creating a nuclear weapons project? Uh, that would be the number one concern. Like, the, right. will the Saudi Arabia, will the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia have access to nuclear warheads? Yeah. Um, and will that 
it, will the nuclear reactors that come from a civilian program be the genesis of that? Um, I think the number two concern, and I think this would be the, number, the, the concern for like most people um, when you say the word nuclear, is if a terrorist got into the nuclear facility and threw a stick of dynamite in the reactor, it would blow up everything. That's well, not true. <laughs> that's not true because, first of all, that person who went there would die instantly. Yeah, when they they're, got very, in contact they're with... very, very <laughs> volatile. <laughs> and it wouldn't do anything, right? Like, it would no. just cause an explosion within the reactor. It wouldn't ca- cause a, a change reaction because right. it would require that. The worst thing that it could do is cause a meltdown, right, which would be environmentally terrible, right? But it's not going to set off, like, a nuclear bomb or something like that. Yeah, so... I guess the fear is, and what's not specific in these reports, is like what exactly is the sensitive technology that's being or a, so that, I, that's I trying to be pushed through? Yeah, I can speak to that. So, again, I mentioned to you before that the technology that is used to enrich uranium or plutonium for either uh, nuclear reactor for like civilian energy generation or uh, to make nuclear weapons is the exact same technology. Think of it like this. I could put a bunch of dough in the oven, right? And maybe I'll leave it in there for 10 minutes and it's still super doughy, but I could probably still eat it, right? It's like good to eat, good enough to eat, as opposed to baking it fully so that it rises and like, you know, becomes like a full loaf of bread. That's like the bomb stuff. The the concerns come because the same exact technology is used to produce either the, the the fuel for the nuclear reactors or the bomb, it's not like two different sets of technology. It's just leaving it in the oven for longer, so to speak, to put it plainly. Where the concern comes in is that all nuclear-capable nations, and I mean energy nuclear-capable nations, go through very stringent and, and, and uh, um, uh, you know, INF-like treaty uh, laws where they have to regulate this stuff, Right. They have to make sure that the fissile material that you purchase is being used specifically for the purposes of creating nuclear energy and not for creating nuclear weapons. And the way that they do that is they allow inspectors to come in periodically and many times unannounced to check it out to see, hey, are you guys making bomb stuff or are you guys, you know, not making bomb stuff? The big concern comes in is that, okay, cool, I could set up a nuclear reactor in the middle of, you know, uh, uh, I should say, I can set up an enrichment plant to create the fuel and allow all the people in and out to to see what we're doing, right? But what I could also do is siphon out small quantities of the fissile material that we're using to a secret location somewhere where we're actually producing nuclear materials for bombs, right? And that would be relatively easy to do once they already have the technology to create it because it's like uh, they already have the blueprint. They know how the thing is made so they can look at it they can study it they can create their own right and put it somewhere in a dark site that nobody knows about and this is the concern about many countries with their nuclear weapons. i mean right now trump's going to north korea right now to you know to have re-engaged talks and a big issue is whether or not you know uh kim jong-un is is still refining nuclear uh nuclear weapons grade uh uranium uh it's kind of hard to tell you know it's, it's hard to tell. So just the act of giving, just the act of giving these, these things 
to this technology to any country, and I mean any country, it's something that you need to pay a lot of fucking attention to because it's a very easy path to go from making nuclear material for energy and making nuclear material for bombs. Thankfully, we've got international treaties in place that, you know, we have watchdogs that that monitor this stuff and, and do a pretty good job at it. But, you know, let's be real. Saudi Arabia isn't the most transparent of countries, you know. Um, the question has to come to your mind when dealing with this kind of shit. It's like, are they going to stick to the plan? Are they going to stick to exactly just energy production? And if the if that's the case, like I'm I'm cool with that. You know, I think nuclear is an underutilized uh, you know energy source. Um, a lot of it is dirty, but there are nuclear types that can be much cleaner and much more effective and better. Uh, and you know, I think every human being has the right to to access to energy, and nuclear is a really really efficient way of getting it. So, it's a difficult topic. So I guess my question to you, and, and I know you did a bunch of research, is like, why do you think Saudi Arabia wants nuclear reactors in the first place? So Saudi Arabia, so you have to understand the genesis of their economy and and, mm. and uh, the Beverly Hillbilly story, the, the Beverly Hillbilly story. So <laughs> Saudi Arabia has been very transparent about wanting nuclear reactors. Um, they have one of this technology. Um, since 2003, they've made their announcement that they wanted to work on getting nuclear technology. So this hasn't, this shouldn't be a surprise that the Saudis want nuclear plants and even nuclear warheads because they've said that themselves as well. Right. Um, they've been actually incredibly transparent about this. And the reason why they need, they, they probably need it. I mean, they're going through a transition plan right now uh saudi vision 2030 where where mohammed bin salman is basically trying to evolve their economy from being just a solely uh exporter of petroleum to something else and they think that maybe nuclear well let me go back because that's not actually entirely accurate so saudi arabia their economy is based on what the price of oil is right now so in 2015, when the, the price of oil was like $30 a barrel, they were screwed. So their entire economy is based on oil, and they need to export as much oil as possible. That's how they can keep up with – that state requires a large amount of oil revenue mm -hmm. in order for them to dish out the – Essentially, the the subsidized services. living, the social right. services, and the subsidized living standards of the civilian population. Right. Like, why don't you think that Saudi Arabia went through an Arab Spring? It's right. because they paid off the population not to. They bribed them. Yeah, they bribed <laughs> them. So they're able to do that because they have so much oil revenue. Um, another thing to take note is is that Saudi Arabia is also the largest consumer of petroleum and energy in general in the Middle East. Yeah, and they're in the I middle of the desert. They need to like figure out they need the energy to just make it habitable. Yeah, exactly. And not only just in the Middle East, but also in in the world. And just think about all the requirements that Saudi Arabia has. Um, they're giving out all these social services. They're subsidizing all of their they're subsidizing things like um, electricity, water, um, medical expenses. Um, right. You need a lot of 
energy to make that possible. Right. Um, you also need a lot of energy to to uh, to I guess subsidize and, and not to subsidize. Not the right word, but to uh, keep the the oil industry going. Right. That they have mm-hmm. because they're going. You know, they're they're shipping oil out of. I believe they're shipping oil out of four major ports. One, two of them are on the east uh, east coast or on the Strait of Hormuz. The other big one is on the west coast over into the Red Sea. But their major shipping ports are all on the east coast as well. Uh, they're all on the east coast. They have one pipeline that goes from east to south uh, from their oil fields in the east over to their port into the west. Now, what is really interesting about Saudi Arabia is that their top trading partners about 60% of their oil, 60% of their oil exports, they go out east. So they go to China, they go to Japan, they go to India, they go to South Korea, they go to Singapore. Um, those are their biggest trading partners right. and where they have a trade surplus with. Um, that's over 60% of their oil exports are going out east. They're going out. So they're all going, they need that straight of, they need the straight of Harmus that goes out. Now, what's to say if Saudi, if Iran were to ever like, if Iran or if there was ever a conflict with Iran, uh, they would shut down the Strait of Hormuz. If the Strait of Hormuz was ever economy. shut down, right, that would cripple the Saudi economy. Right. It would absolutely cripple them. They wouldn't be able to export sixty percent of their oil right. they have. Right. That's how, that's one. Of, that's the primary reason for the war in Yemen. Right is because they're trying they to get port access. access. To the right. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get port access outside of the straits. Mm-hmm. They're they Saudis proposed a pipeline that would go uh, north yeah. and south yeah. to the port in 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 Yemen. Right. And then that would that would take away Iran's like uh, strength against um, Saudi Arabia. They would still be fucked regardless if they couldn't ship out of the Strait of Hormuz, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be as crippling because that would cripple the Saudi economy. Right. So they require nuclear energy because they need to be able to export as much oil to continue the the, the, the subsidies they give out to their population because that's how the Saudis stay in line. They subs they, they subdue and they dish out social benefits to their civilian population so they don't revolt. Like there's a there's a mutual understanding between the Saudi royal family and the civilian population. Right. So they need that. They need to have another form of energy so they can ship out they can they can ship out additional oil, um, right? They oil. need to subsidize their they need to supplement their own energy consumption with something other than it's like they're they're not trying to get high on their own supply, basically. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like they don't want to use their own oil for their own uh, energy needs because that's their money maker, right? Um, but I mean, my question to you is like, okay, that seems like a reasonable want. Like, you know, they they need they want to be more, I guess, energy independent, you know, so that they can keep selling more oil. But that's kind of the same thing, the same reason why Iran wants nuclear. You know, I mean, I'm not a I'm not an expert on Iran at all. However, from what I understand, they need the energy production as well they're in a similar region they have similar challenges as 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 uh, uh saudi arabia and and arguably bigger challenges because you know of all of the sanctions that go around um iran you know they can't export as much as saudi arabia at all because of sanctions and so they also want nuclear energy for civilian reasons to to, to meet their own energy consumption so it seems like, and, and you know, you can you can chime in on this, but it seems like we're holding um, 
we're holding Iran to one standard and potentially we're holding Saudi Arabia to a completely different one. The needs are the same, at least on the face of them. And the risks are the same on the face of them. If we give Iran, you know, capability to to make nuclear energy from themselves, then we also risk them creating a bomb. But the same could be said of, of Saudi Arabia or any country that we give te- this technology to. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's the exact same reason why Iran wants a nuclear program is because they want to export more oil. Usually, I mean, it's not wrong to want a nuclear program. It's like, not. It benefit, like if you want to create more energy and you want to export more of your natural resources or more petroleum products, then, you know, it's not irrational to want to do that. Like, it it makes perfect sense. And yeah, I think Iran stems in the same way. And obviously, we're picking and choosing based on what government is more friendly with the United States. Um, Saudi is our ally. That's right. That's it. I mean, that, that plain and simple. And it definitely seems that this deal was try they try to push this through and it's a case of crony capitalism really like it's just they're trying to push this deal through um so these guys who were i I mean it's all ex-generals and ex um ex-congressmen who are on the board like Mm -hmm. they're just trying to make a buck off this deal this deal from um ip3 international the only project that they're working on is this middle east marshall plan Right. And um, yeah, it, it's just. So, I mean, I, I've got some interesting things on that too, and I, I guess some of where the domestic concerns come from this is that one, and I'm reading this here, uh, the export of American nuclear technology that could be used to create either nuclear weapons or uh, nuclear reactors. Um, is strictly controlled under the Atomic Energy Act of 1954. So the, the act actually says that Congress has the like the express power and 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 necessity to approve exports of this technology like it 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 has to go through congress first and what's domestically troubling about this deal is that Michael Flynn uh you know disgraced national security advisor was working on this before Trump even got elected right IP3 was working on this before he even got elected and they were warned about the fact that they have to go through those legal requirements, and they ignored it. And now they're trying to push this through. They're trying to circumvent the reasonable uh, uh, legislation that requires Congress to sign off on this for the reasons that I pointed out before, because this technology is extremely sensitive and can be used to develop weapons. And so we really need to pay attention to who we give this shit to. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So, all right. IP3 was formed in June 2016 to address security issues arising out of plans throughout the Arab states to to industrialize their economies and move them away from exclusive reliance on oil and toward conventional industrial pursuits such as mining, manufacturing, heavy industry, and agriculture. It was clear such a transformation will require the development of enormous baseload power generation, and it was clear Russia and China intended to build, own, and operate nuclear plants to deliver that power and thereby gain influence with the host countries. It goes on... um, for a couple more paragraphs, but I think that summarizes that's it a, pretty That's a well. good summary. And um, it's, it's not unreasonable either. You know, it, it would be in the U.S. national interest to get to it first, right? We don't want our, you know, adversaries to basically have that much sway over huge oil-producing companies like that, uh, countries like that. I get it. We want to get there first. But they're ignoring, they're ignoring the protocols. They're ignoring these precedents and to your point earlier they're just trying to make a buck you know like like let's be real they're trying to make money no it's it's a case of crony capitalism i think at the end of the day but we're also dealing with saudi arabia and you always have to you always have to think twice when dealing with anything saudi related because right which is what why this this article brought like struck my attention because and why i sent it to you immediately when i saw it because i'm like wait why are we considering giving them the these this technology like what's the angle here well i think we should go over the question is does saudi arabia already have access to nuclear technology i don't know the answer to that so something that's interesting is that i mean saudi arabia has always been transparent about their desire for a nuclear program. That's right. They've been very transparent about that. They initially said that they wanted one because of for, for energy concerns, for civilian purposes. However, Mohammed bin Salman straight up said that if Iran gets a nuke, we want a nuke. Right. He straight up said that. Like it was it he said that if Iran has nuclear weapons and we're going to get nuclear weapons, straight clear and simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even better than that, we want to get the bomb before they do. Yes. And in 2008, the U.S. and in, in, uh, Saudi Arabia, they signed an agreement under the Atoms for Peace program that would boost the Saudi nuclear civilian program. Right. So this has been this isn't like something that's new. This has been in development for mm-hmm. a very long time. We've been talking to Saudi Arabia about um, the possibility of them having a nuclear program for for over over ten years at this point. That's right. So this shouldn't be a big surprise. But the question is, does Saudi have nukes already? Well, there were strategy papers released in two thousand three that laid out specific plans. Um, this is straight from Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. uh, for their nuclear program or why they would need a nuclear program. And their, I guess their the three civilian main points, nuclear program, not necessarily their weapons program. No, their weapons program. Oh shit! Okay. So um, this was 2003, take note, this was right during the invasion of Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, U.S.-Saudi relations were at a relatively lower point in, the, in Under, their history. Understandably so. 
U.S. the U.S. and Saudi Arabia they've had their ups and downs in their relationships. Um, like they've had their very big highs and their very big lows. Like their highs were during their coalition together to boot the Russians out of Afghanistan. That would right. be a high. Another high would be when the U.S. invaded. Well, not invaded, but when they um, Desert Storm Operation One when. Correct. First Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a Saudi-U.S. coalition together. Those are the highs. The lows are when, um, obviously, the 1973 oil embargo is like the probably mm-hmm. the lowest point in our history with Saudi Arabia, when Saudi Arabia figured out that they could weaponize oil. Um, that's a true weapon. They can weaponize the production of oil. That's right. Um, and two when uh obviously 9-11 is the other right. major low because 15 out of of the saudi uh, hijackers were saudi arabians that's what right. most americans know about saudi arabia is that the majority of the 9-11 hijackers were from saudi arabia that's well, correct when that point was at a low period in 2003 um they released papers to that, that they wanted to acquire nuclear capabilities as a deterrent another another key thing is that they would either maintain or enter into an alliance with an existing nuclear power that would offer protection. And the third point would be to try and reach a regional agreement on having a nuclear free Middle East. So that came from straight that came from strategy papers out of Saudi Arabia. They laid out their plans. The three cases or their three strategies of revolving nuclear weapons. So as a deterrent, if they needed one, meaning let's just say if Iran got one, um they would maintain an alliance with the one. Pakistan is like the biggest example of that. Mm-hmm. Potentially um, the U.S. Or just right? no one else could have them. Mm. Well, Pakistan, what was interesting about the Saudi relationship with with Pakistan is that uh, Saudi Arabia, they financed that agreement. I mean, they, they financed Pakistan's nuclear weapons program. Mm. This was This goes back to the 70s. Right. So Saudi Arabia was involved in Pakistan's nuclear weapons program. Right. They couldn't do it themselves, so they're just like, let me just put a bunch of money into somebody else's with the hopes that maybe we can get some benefit out of it. Yeah. Saudi Arabia, when they were when they were building that nuclear weapons program, Saudi Arabia was selling them super cheap oil. So I guess there's a conspiracy or a theory that they Saudi Arabia already has access to nuclear weapons, which I, I find pretty, pretty – I don't, I don't really find – realistic but i mean it's entirely possible i don't know what you think about that i mean yeah i wasn't as well versed on their financing of pakistani nuclear technology um with that knowledge i think you know all bets are on the table Uh, i think it's entirely possible um i mean we look at countries like israel for example who Everybody kind of knows they got the bomb, but they're not open about it, right? And we look at countries like, for example, North Korea, who say they have the bomb and have been working on the bomb. Um, to what degree they're at, you know, is, is questionable. I think the idea that they could also, that Saudi Arabia could also have access to nuclear weapons technology or just nuclear weapons in general, fissile materials is entirely possible one thing i will say is that they certainly have the delivery capabilities right so a big part of you know watching out for nuclear weapons 
let's take North Korea as a good example is that, all right, they're enriching their own uranium. They're, you know, they're like saying, fuck you to the world. You know, we're doing whatever we want, right? But the reason why it's been relatively okay, and it's not okay, but the reason why it hasn't been that bad is because they don't have the delivery system to be able to weaponize that. And by that, I mean rockets, missiles, or uh, alternate methods like submarines that launch missiles or airplanes that drop bombs, right? They just didn't have the, the capability to deliver it. Saudi Arabia absolutely has that capability. Saudi Arabia has top-notch you know, uh, uh, fighter jets, including they're, they're purchasing F-35s, so that, that that's one delivery system. I uh, don't know, actually, if they have submarines, um, but I do know that they are purchasing and have uh, you know, S-300s, you know, which are the Russian surface-to-air missiles, which absolutely can be uh, outfitted with nuclear warheads. Um, and they're not a part of the, um, what do they call that treaty? We just talked about it not too long ago. The the Intermediate um, Missile uh, IMS, I think it's, uh, the, the missile treaty that the U.S. And, and Russia are in to not make medium-range ballistic missiles. They're not in that, so they totally have medium-range ballistic missiles. They probably make them out of necessity just because they want to thwart the threat against Iran. So when I think about this holistically, I know that they can deliver a nuclear weapon. I know that they have stated their intent to have a nuclear weapon. I know that I know their intent to acquire the technologies by which they could enrich um, their own nuclear weapons. And... Now I know that they've been funding Pakistan's um, nuclear weapons program. All of those things, in my opinion, lead to, yes, it's entirely possible that they already have it. And if they don't already have it, they're definitely working towards getting it. Yeah, I, um, I really I can't disagree with that. I think it's entirely possible that they have it as well. I, I, that's why I think that this their desire is more based on the economic side and their energy policy more than just creating a nuclear warhead i just think that the need for them to to adopt nuclear technology so they can export more oil Mm -hmm. is the primary reason why they're seeking a nuclear program I, i think their intent is a civilian program because i think if they had the weapon they probably already have access to it right so I that's mean, with with uh, Iran. The, Iran's been like five years away from making a bomb for the last thirty years, <laughs> you yeah. know. And and a big reason for that is because we're just not giving them this nuclear technology for their civilian purposes, right? That that's always been the concern. Don't give Iran the nuclear stuff because you know then it'll uh, increase their capability to to create a nuclear weapon much much quicker. Uh, I think the same is true of Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is is right now a pretty aggressive state you know if we look at the war in yemen and the things that they do and the humanitarian crisis that that it is i mean i said this on our episode about the s300 like them getting s300s in my opinion just means that they're going to use them offensively you know not necessarily just defensively i don't i don't trust them i don't trust their military yeah i i totally agree with you i think that they're biggest priority is to become energy independent but the the added benefit is now they can also create a nuclear weapon and i don't necessarily trust that they won't and i don't necessarily trust that if they do that they won't think about using it (laughs) 
No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, something that I so let I think this is a good segue into our next topic. And sure. I didn't I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I just came to mind. Yeah. Um, I saw that. Um, the U.S. is uh, Trump is blocking the sale of F-35s to Turkey because Turkey's buying um, S-400s from Russia. Curious what your thoughts were on that. I mean, that's bullshit. That's bullshit because Saudi Arabia has them too. You know, it's like what the fuck? Like we're selling F-35s to Saudi Arabia, a whole lot of them. Trump's like big and huge about like we're going to make so much money with them. We're selling them over $100 million in military tech, you know. Haha, <laughs> right? And and Saudi Arabia – I said this before. Saudi Arabia is not in NATO. Turkey is in NATO, right? And and we're not going to sell our own NATO members F-35s because they're buying S-400s from Russia. Meanwhile, our not-NATO ally, Saudi Arabia, already has these damn things, and we're still going to sell it to them, and we're proud to sell it to them because we're going to make money. What the fuck? Like, if we're going to sell F-35s to any country, sell them to all the fucking countries. Like, if you're going to go on the we're trying to make money and increase jobs, you better apply that shit to everybody because this is bullshit. That's bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got really excited about that. It's just bullshit. What do you think? I don't know. It seems pretty arbitrary to me. There's obviously a lot more favor within the White House and guys like Jared Kushner towards Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Jared Kushner. He, was, I, he was paid off. I, I, here, I'm going to pull that up because that's interesting. He was literally paid off. Um, so one of the nuclear pow- um, manufacturers that um, – that could benefit from from this deal is is Westinghouse Electric, which is a subsidiary of Brookfield Asset Management, and that specific uh, Brookfield Asset Management provided financial relief to Jared Kushner's family, um, and and I want to point out provided past tense meaning they've already given him money, right? And so Jared Kushner and Michael Flynn have been pushing this fucking Saudi Arabia deal. He already got the bribe money. <laughs> like it's already in his pockets. His family already, you know, benefited from it, you know. And they're trying to push the Saudi Arabia deal. Be- th- this is the quid pro quo. This is the tit for tat. Like, don't get me started on Jared Kushner. He's 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 got he's got debts to pay, and I think he considers himself a Lannister. But he's gonna be the one that solves Israel Palestine. Get the fuck out of here with that shit, dude. Some, it's some, up to Jared. It's up to Jared Kushner. You ever hear him speak? He speaks yeah, like, he's, um, <laughs> "Hey, he's like a he's like a ten year old boy in a thirty something year old man's body." <laughs> Someone there's a there's a rumor that he's gay. Cool. <laughs> Not cool. that it matters, but there's a rumor yeah. that I heard a rumor <laughs> like that that he's uh, I I don't whatever. Let's pass that rumor. Um, not pass it on. Let's just say let's pass that topic yeah. onto another one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I found that interesting. I didn't actually read like into the headline, but I just saw. I, I read like the first paragraph. But I didn't yeah. go through the whole thing, but I saw that they trumped the. I, they, I saw that they they were they blocking that, the F thirty five sale. To yeah, Turkey. they're pissed off. They're pissed off. I'm good for Turkey. They don't have to deal, get more F thirty fives. Probably a blessing in disguise for them, right? Uh huh. Yeah, it's probably it's a ble- it's a blessing in disguise. But go <laughs> buy a shitty planes. Go buy a MIG from Russia instead. <laughs> go no, buy be buying no MIGs are old, dude. They're they buy Sukhois. They're Sukhois, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um I want to get into one last thing and then let's wrap things up. Cool. So um on I spoke to Mohammed Sahimi the other right. day. I encourage mm-hmm. everyone to listen to that interview because it's really awesome um in that interview we talk about the different opposition groups in iran 
Um, basically, what Mohammed highlights is that there's two types of op- uh, internal oppositions in, in Iran. There is a, a real opposition and there's a fake opposition. The real opposition their movements, uh, their movements like the Green Revolution or the Green Movement in Iran, um, the Green people, New Deal. <laughs> yeah, there there are people within Iran that want true change from the hardliners. They want reform. However, they're still patriots, and they'll never take the side of a foreign power over Iran, over other Iranians. Um, these this. The true opposition are people who don't, be, you know, they don't believe in economic sanctions. They don't want aggressive regime change. Uh, they don't want war or invasion. Um, they just want natural reform. Um, then there's a fake opposition group um, as well. And uh, what Mohammed outlines, and, and I encourage everyone to listen to this interview because it's really, really good. And, he, and, and um, Mohammed Sahimi really breaks this down really well. But this fake opposition are like ex-monarchists and uh, people who have been ex Iranians who have been exiled, who are like creating different lobby groups to uh, to try to facilitate economic sanctions and regime change and create these uh, brought these news networks that broadcast into Iran that encourage revolution, that encourage that encourage change. Um, they're seen as the fake opposition is because it to, to the average Iranian, it seems like they're traitors. And mm. if there's an Iranian who's watching this or someone who's involved in like e- either of these movements, please feel free to chime in in the comment section. But, but they feel like they're tra- they, they feel like they're traitors. These people who are coming in, uh, who are either exiled, they're living in Canada, and they're trying to, in their in their their. Uh, champion economic sanctions at heart that that harm the civilian population that's right so the u.s state department what did they do here we go so we all know that there was a video for the 40th year well i don't know if everyone knows but there was a video that was released from iran um this this like animated video of danny you go into this this video real quick you you've watched it more times than i i think (laughs) So the, the the video Iran put out on one of Iran's TV stations is of a Ghadir-class submarine, um, which is one of their small midget submarines. That's a technical term, by the way. Uh, small submarine. Uh, basically, it's a shitty-ass, like, pre-Pixar <laughs> animation where the Ghadir-class submarine sinks a U.S. carrier group, which is crazy. Uh, but basically, they're doing it to flex their dick muscle, and it's you know we just passed the 40 year anniversary of the revolution, and they're trying to say like, hey, you know, watch out, America, like we got this shit, we got awesome submarines that don't really have very good range or speed or <laughs> armaments. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a silly video, and it was a very North Korea like video. It's it was hilarious. It was like one of those North Korean videos that are that uh, show like a North Korean ship blowing up a U.S. carrier or something. Like just it was just like silly. Um, a lot of those hardliners in Iran, or most of them, are silly. Um, I don't like. I don't think they're good leaders. <laughs> However, so the State Department released a video. I don't know if it was in response to this weird animated video of um this guy i'm not even sure who it is i'm gonna play the video uh right now so people can get the gist of it 
but now in this video they're basically encouraging revolution and they're saying that you know don't go through economic suffering don't go through you know don't go through uh this this harsh economic suffering um and rise up against your government and this is exactly the type of behavior that alienates us from that that natural ally if we wanted to have organic regime change in Iran. That's right. The best way, if you want a regime change in Iran, then just stop dealing, just stop talking about regime change in Iran. Stop putting economic sanctions on Iran. Stop harming the civilian population there because all you're doing is just alienating people there and you're making them dislike America more because people are always going to side with their own country or patriots are always going to side with their own country over a foreign power even if they don't like the people who are in charge of the government at that time. That's right. They're not going to be traitors. Stop doing that. Stop trying to to lobby regime change and economic sanctions that hurt the civilian population. It only causes more harm and creates more dissent from you. Right. It creates things like terrorism. It creates things like like a lot of human suffering. It creates it creates alienation from people who would naturally be your ally. So stop putting these stupid videos out. You're causing more harm than good. I don't know. I think we can end on that I, unless you have something to add to it. Couldn't have said better myself. All right. Um, all right. Let's wrap this up. Um, so. I'm not sure. This this episode will probably be released on Monday. Uh, so you may have noticed that there's going to be a couple of brand changes. Uh, don't get alarmed. They, we're just kind of going through a brand overhaul with bro history. We're going we're, through we're branding not, puberty right now. It's, branding you know, puberty. There's some changes uh, in our body. Cha- changes in just like the aesthetics and, and things like that. Nothing, nothing really crazy. Um, but just don't like think that we disappeared. Um, that's the only thing I want to say. And then, um, yeah, l- let's close this thing out. Uh, we're, we're almost at an hour right now. All right. All right. Peace, everyone. See ya. Hey, if you're still with us, uh, please rate and review the podcast. And also, if you want to see us broad or record this podcast, we actually videotape ourselves doing it. Um, you can see our industrial-like studio that we record from. Um, so go to our YouTube channel if you're interested in that and subscribe. Uh, we actually uh, list more content on our YouTube channel than we do on the podcast. So I uh, encourage you to check it out and uh, rate, review, subscribe all that, share with a friend, and uh, help us grow. Peace out. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.